0: Don teaches popular public speaking courses internally at Google and around the world and speaks professionally for Fortune 500 companies, including Adobe, Cisco, and Medtronic. Don has performed with the Blue Man Group, toured internationally as a theatrical clown for contemporary circus Spiegel World, and is listed in the Cirque du Soleil Performer Database. Don's mission is to help every communicator profoundly impact their audience through the power of authenticity, listening and play the secrets of clown. He recently released a number one bestselling Amazon book entitled Wink, Transforming Public Speaking with Clown Presence to help anxious speakers everywhere connect more deeply with their listeners. Welcome to Eventist 365, a show where we talk to proven leaders and trendsetters in the corporate event industry and find out what it takes to create amazing and impactful corporate events. I am your host, Yanit DaCosta. Let's start the show. So, Mr. Don Coliver, you performed with the Blue Man Group. What's that like?
1: Yes. Thank you for asking. That was a couple years of my life blends together with a tour I did with a company called Spiegel World. They have a show in Las Vegas at Caesars Palace called Absinthe. And I was the host clown for the North American, part of the North American tour of a version of that show. And that transitioned into the blue man experience. And it was crazy those times because I'm a grown-up. I was in my mid-40s at the time, and I was surrounded by 27-year-old like Russian acrobats and things. So I was definitely coming into this world with my, a separate career, and this was just kind of, I can't believe this is happening. Of course, I'm going to say yes to this experience. So it was super fun and super crazy and super valuable experience.
0: So, did you become a clown before or after
1: the Blue Man Group? I was working in clown before that. That's what helped me with the audition and my experience in what is known as theatrical clowning, which I came into through improv comedy, like Second City, that stuff. So, I should just put the caveat out for your listeners I'm not talking about white face creepy red nose. This is more just a way of being present on stage and very, very authentic, very vulnerable. And weirdly enough, like moving into trade show presentations, corporate presentations, and corporate training, there's a lot of crossover and there's a lot of benefit that can be had. Specifically, I teach at Google. I teach public speaking at Google, and I have a lot of engineers in there, a lot of folks from other countries, and learning to utilize this, being confident in yourself and vulnerability is incredibly useful.
0: So you spoke about your interaction with the Googlers. What public speaking courses are Googlers taking?
1: Yeah, so I am grateful and lucky enough to be a contractor for Google Arts, which is a a program for Googlers internally that is subsidized by Google where they can choose from a menu of different business type courses to theatrical courses. I teach comedy, I teach sketch comedy, I teach improv there, but I also teach public speaking. And it's six session course, virtual or in person, helping people just because there's lots of presentations that need to happen internally and a lot of times people are great at at coding or great at managing a process but in terms of when they have to get up and speak in front of executives or ask for more headcount they really get nervous and there's just some simple techniques and exercises we work with to get them more comfortable and more persuasive
0: so i kind of want to like go back just a bit how has your clown experience impacted your approach to public speaking more specifically? I know you alluded to it earlier, but like, how can we dive more into that? Because I feel like that's a really interesting nuance.
1: Yeah, great question. Well, here's the thing. Like if you go to Toastmasters, I love Toastmasters. Like I've been a member for a long time and I just did a big workshop there a couple of weeks ago. And there's a, I'm writing an article on the next Toastmasters International Magazine, but Toastmasters focuses a lot on your content. Like how do I do an introduction? How do I move my hands? How do I stand? One thing going through their curriculum, there isn't a lot of focus of how do I actually engage in the moment and maybe pivot my presentation based upon what my audience, how my audience is responding. That's a thing that feels that it's just sometimes glossed over in public speaking courses because it'll be like power pose, stand like this and you'll control your audience or use these phrases, or here's how to tell a story in an engaging way. What I learned from Clown was that's all great, but I can also show up and be such a good listener to what my audience is doing and responsive that they will be leaning forward and listening to whatever I have to say because I'm such a good listener. And so I work on building that ability to listen in the midst of juggling your content, the stuff you've rehearsed so carefully. I like to say back in the olden days when there'd be rhetoric or oratory, when Abraham Lincoln would be speaking and every word was perfectly chosen and these speeches are legendary, right? These days if you see someone speaking like that, sometimes this is critical like state of the union address that thing. But if I'm in like for example a trade show a group of 20 people listening, if I see someone speaking like that, I start to be like, do they even know I'm here? Are they listening? Is there any two way thing happening at all? And I think it really came into sharp focus during pandemic when I would log into these webinars. And I wasn't sure, honestly, unique. I wasn't sure if I was watching a video, or if that person was really doing the webinar with me right there. I was like, like, pre-recorded. Feels pretty yeah, right. <laughs> Why did I set my two to three PM side for this when I could have watched it tonight in my bed when I'm going to sleep? So I think that two way is what the difference is.
0: So, what things are you looking for before choosing to do a course, right, where you're educating people on speaking, or before accepting a speaking engagement yourself?
1: I think just opportunities. For engagement, and I'll usually discuss with whoever's in charge, sometimes a coordinator or a manager, what do we know about our audience? What does the audience expect? What does the audience want? What are they looking for? A lot of times coming into specifically trade show, if product engineering department or something has had a hand in building an outline for a script, it's all about, look at all the stuff we added. Feature,
0: feature, features.
1: Yeah. Been you know, there. you know what I'm talking Been about. There. Yeah. How can we write this from the audience point of view? How can we engage them? What's in it for them? How can we put that first? That's usually the questions I'll ask.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think that leads into a place we're talking about creating a transformational experience through this very well-designed, engaging conversation. And I want you to kind of like talk to us about and I know because I know this is I did my stocking right before you came up here. Right. Or came on here. And I want you to share with us what transformational public speaking is or means to you. And why do you think it's impactful?
1: Sure. Well, I do want to hear. From you too about how this stuff, how graphic design can be taken into account, audiences and things. I'm sure you have opinions. Oh, on gosh. That. Yeah. I surely do. Yeah. I'll answer that question, but I want to hear from you first.
0: I got you. So, we design a lot of trade show booths, right? There's one specific project that I think I am primarily proud of because it was a little earlier within my career where I rebranded a trade show, like an entire trade show department within a corporate structure of a fintech. And when we were done redesigning the trade show look and feel, it increased the number of leads that salespeople were getting at events by like 105%. Wow. Which for me is, that's major because it's like times two and then some. And a lot of it was really about focusing the visuals and the assets on the outcome that they were looking for and not specifically like, This is the thing that our thing does. People don't care. People want to know that you are helping them create a better user or helping to communicate a better user experience for their clients, right? Helping to create ease in the buying process, helping to facilitate... A transformation, right? Like someone comes in with a problem and our product or our thing, when I say our, I mean talking about like the company specifically they're speaking with at the trade show is focused on creating that change from initial problem state to solution and that they understand that that's exactly what they're meant to do. And that's how they're actually going to be converting dollars to cents and dollars to cents, dear God. How they're gonna be converting people from from cents to dollars, right? Because if it doesn't make sense, then it doesn't make dollars. Insert corny joke here. <laughs> and that's my general approach. And then the same approach that we take as a business overall, because, you know, as a business owner, everything I do is ingrained into the business, my thought process about the things. So, yeah, that's where I stand on that.
1: That's awesome. Wow. I've never
0: had a guest ask me a question before. So, <laughs> that's the <a> first. <laughs>
1: Wow. That's huge. 105% increase. That's amazing. Yeah. Cool. So thank you for sharing that. That's awesome. Yeah. Booth design, man. I did another trade show podcast a couple of weeks ago and he asked, what are some of the challenges you run into? And just simply like walls, like blocking vision and stuff, like things that I can see, like if I'm designing it in my office, like, oh, this is going to be so cool. But like when I'm in there trying to get people in to talk to the sales engineers and stuff, if there's a wall there, it's just like we lost. No, you
0: you automatically block them out, right? You stop them from feeling they can engage or you guys are accessible, open to having conversation, right? Right. And then there's also my fun part was, okay, just kidding. So it's also... This thing that a lot of organizations tend to do, and I always have to like train them out of it, which is let's just put everything on the trade show booth. No, 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 we don't. Yeah, we could just put our website on the bottom, but why? None of that is what's going to move anyone to take action. It's actually really interesting. As I'm like saying this out loud, it's this give them this higher level information to bring them in. But then it's that conversation, right? Once they're in there, that really like holds them and then converts them to buying. But the design itself is not what sells. It's what gets them in the door, right? Like, you know what? I do want to talk to these guys again because I feel like they get it. They get it. Like, what's that like big idea thing? And then the big idea thing can't be electronic razors for dogs. That's not really a thing. But I'm pretty sure when my client listens to me, I'm like, wait, were you talking about me? And I'm going to be like, yeah. (laughs) But electronic racers for dogs. Meanwhile, I'm like, yeah, no. That's your mechanism, right? Like, that's the tool that your customers buy to solve their actual problem. But What they're actually buying is ease and comfort while providing, ease and comfort while grooming your dog. That's what they're buying comfort sometimes you trim your dog especially like nails how you clip nails it could hurt the dog sometimes if your dog is feisty like mine he's not trying to like sit still my dog is like one year old and he's like running around doing all the things and sometimes if he gets really excited you can't like clip his beard properly right but this tool helps to make that process easier for both you and your pet those high level things make grooming time fun time. Like that. And it sounds fluffy, but it's really speaking directly to the problem. Grooming time isn't fun. Oh, well, how do they make grooming time fun? Then they come over and talk to you. And as you're talking to them, you're like, yeah, we help you with this. We solve this. Pain point, pain point, pain point. Here's what you can buy from us to solve that pain point. Oh, so you guys sell razors? Well, if your razors do that, I'm definitely buying. Anywho, I think I took us off on a nice tangent for a while. <laughs>
1: No, it makes sense. I'm sold. I don't even have a dog. I don't get it. Uh, No, you had asked, how does my outlook on public speaking, how is it transformational? And I think speaking in those same, along those same lines, but on a broader stage, I think coming out of when everybody was working at home, I just noticed, and I think I'm not saying any revelations here that there's just a lot of insincerity and inauthenticity going on on social media, going on in the news, going on in politics. Of, And I'm not going to get into politics, but there's trust is a thing. Trust is a challenge these days. And words will come out. And then a little while later, like, oh, those words were not true. And I've found myself like my go-to is doubt. I'd nah, prove it. So one of the reasons I wrote my book about transforming public speaking with this clown presence is like, just give me some authenticity, show me some truth. And I think if people show up and they reveal their humanity, I don't think, and that may include imperfection, I don't think that will affect the audience's impression of their mastery of their content. By that, I'm saying if you spill your glass of water or you're a little bit late or something like that, but you are absolutely a master of your content, I think that not only doesn't hurt your message, it helps your message because your audience will see you more as a human being that can be trustworthy because you're brave enough to show your human side. But again, the caveat is you have to know your content backwards and forwards. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, but it sounds like being a subject matter expert gives you the confidence to really have an authentic conversation instead of like trying to like shove stuff down people's throat.
1: Absolutely.
0: But how do people get there? Is that really just about like studying their content? What do you do if you really don't know everything the same way that the engineer does about the product itself? Is it really just about focusing on Is it more about focusing on knowing the customer more than knowing the product?
1: Well, I think in my public speaking classes, the people who would sign up for a public speaking class, usually rehearsals are not a problem. They rehearse probably too much. They try and memorize their whole speech. They're so nervous about any kind of a hiccup that they overprepare. So I normally don't worry too much about prepping content. Because for example, if I have a sales engineer that I'm introducing at a trade show, that's going to get up and going to give a 10 minute presentation on some feature, they know that content backwards and forwards, and they're white knuckled on that content. Whereas if they were comfortable enough to be a little bit more free-flowing and maybe have a couple hiccups, be like, you know what? I misspoke. Let me go back and say that again. I don't think the audience will ever doubt their mastery of content. They'll just be more on their side as a human. But in terms of takeaway tips, in terms of rehearsals, what I always say is run your presentation five to seven times, start to finish. Don't stop. If you're like, oh, I got to change that. Just keep plowing through to the end. Do it five to seven times. And one of those times, close your door, shut the window, and do one of those presentations with super big body gestures, like running all around your house or jumping up on your couch or just ridiculous body gestures and of course you'll never do that in the real presentation but there'll be a residual where you'll have more natural gestures and then uh, another time go through this is one of the five to seven times do the same thing but with vocal variety like take your voice up really high and like really quiet and really say certain your points really loud and again you won't do that in your real presentation but the residual will be that you will find that your vocal variety will be a little bit more varied. This is really helpful, I find. I work with a lot of non-native speakers and sometimes they'll be coming to my class because their manager will have given them feedback that they speak in in a monotone. And so I find that this exercise really is very helpful.
0: So uh, speaking about like who you work with, so we were talking a little earlier, you were talking about the fact that you primarily work with the people who are speaking within their varying trade show booths. And I think that is a nuance that people like forget about when they're putting together like, okay, these are all the marketing assets that we need to send to the trade show. Well, what about the person, right? Like they totally kind of glaze over that glass. Well, well, Jeff works on the project, Jeff will go. Like how can trade show marketers or like the internal corporate marketing departments find or motivate or harvest? I don't even know. But like superstar trade show speakers, or you could even, maybe you could even call them salespeople.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. Salespeople. I mean, you know, these people, some people love it. Some people that is their realm, like a trade show. Some people hate it. Like they absolutely, it just sucks energy out of them. They feel fake. It's like terrible. And I think that's fine. It's because I don't know if you can change that person into liking to stand, enjoying standing for eight hours on a thin piece of carpet over concrete. But there's some people who they just get energized by that and new bodies in the booth all day long. And so, first of all, if you could find that in your sales department, your sales engineer department or something like that, that's awesome. Like reward that person. That's a unicorn. If not, you can train people to uh, get better at that. Actually, I didn't mention this, but I do have an exercise that folks can do and they can download it for free. It's an exercise I use to prep people for going into a trade show environment. And if they have to deliver demos or deliver presentations it's a hand raise engagement exercise. You work it with four people. And if they go to doncoliver.com forward slash engage, you can get that for free. It's just a PDF of how to run that and then how to debrief the exercise. And what that does is that's going to help your subject matter expert who no doubt has a great handle on content to start to also pay attention to the audience and pay attention to both at the same time, which is the biggest challenge I think from someone who's used to delivering webinars or one-on-one presentations, when they shift to a trade show environment, they need to have more awareness of the audience.
0: So I feel like you answered this, but I feel like you could like dive a little deeper. Like what's some ways that that same person within that booth space can really engage their audience or can encourage audience engagement?
1: For sure. Well, there's four things, four tips I like to use to what, in theatrical terms, we call break the fourth wall. It, the fourth wall is the wall between the speaker and the audience, and you want to have an easy two-way conversation between those two sides. If someone never acknowledges the audience, they've built a fourth wall. What we're trying to do is tear it down. And here's there's four things you can do to tear it down. First of all, simply acknowledge something the audience is doing. If someone's nodding in your booth saying, it looks like you really understand what I'm talking about. Do you have experience in this? Just acknowledging something they are doing will immediately re-engage everybody in the booth. Another thing you can do is you can tell a story. And we've all, this is very pop culture right now. The moth just wrote a book on how to tell a good story. Incorporating personal stories will make people feel like, oh, man, he's going off script. This is a real thing that's happening right now. They'll lean forward and get engaged. The third way you can do it is you can make it present. By that, I mean, you can ask everybody to do something physical to snap out of just listening and watching and, oh, geez, I have to pass this thing along or oh, geez, now I'm getting this swag. I need to put it in my bag. Something where they're doing something will re-engage them. And I'm sure you know, you need to be careful with that. Like if you hand out a stack of papers, you've just lost that audience because now they're going to shuffle through the papers. They're not paying attention for a while. So use that one with care. And then the last tip is the one that everybody uses. Simply ask them to do something take a quiz, like do on Zoom. We have polls. We can do a poll. We can have a hand raise. Anybody ever work with this challenge? Let's see a roll of raise of hands. One, two, three, four. That's another way you can engage them. So those are four ways that you can engage your audience.
0: All right. So uh, what's the title of that book that the moth wrote? That sounds worth reading. We love books over here.
1: It's called How to Tell a Story, The Essential Guide to Memorable Storytelling from the Moth.
0: I love that. Thank you so much. So you did a book reading at the New Now Creative event and community center in Oakland, California. I love California. What was your favorite part about that experience?
1: That was so great. There's this small but powerful clown community in Oakland and Berkeley, and they're super supportive. And one of those folks, Dana, she has this venue called The New Now, which is a great venue to host any independent art event. And they hosted it. And I did a reading and had a little question and answer period. And my favorite part was just the great support from a wide variety of demographics. There were professional folks from tech companies. There were more artistic performance artists that was the coolest thing and seeing everybody come together and resonate about what I'm talking about, which is authentic communication.
0: I love that. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with me. And like you can see, I already stalked you online. So you'll hear more from me. Tell the people where they can find you. And then I'll, of course, I'll make sure to put it all in the show notes.
1: Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so much, Yannick. This has been a blast. And you can find my book, Wink, Transforming Public Speaking with Clown Presence at Amazon and Audible. And it's just about to be released wide. You can get it at Barnes and Noble and all of your independent booksellers. You can, again, grab that free exercise at doncolliver.com forward slash engage. I primarily do all my social media on LinkedIn. So I'm happy to connect with your listeners at Don Colliver at LinkedIn. And yeah, that sound that would be great.
0: All right, Awesome. Thank you again, Don. Have an awesome day. Thank you. If this sounds like a show you'd listen to and you're down to learn with someone who's just trying to get through life one day at a time, go ahead and hit subscribe. When you listen to the episodes, if you really like them, which I suspect you will, please leave a review on Apple podcast or Spotify I'm trying to hit some platform milestones. So, you know, please take a minute to do so. Thanks for listening and I'll talk to you in the next episode.